every week. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you are doing. God, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. God, thank you for everyone who is gathered here today. Uh, we, we all have our reasons, God, but we know that you are the one who sets divine appointments with your people, and you have set an appointment with each and every one of us who is here today, who's watching online, uh, who will watch later in the day or later in the week, because, God, you've got something for us. And, you know, we, we try so hard not to forget what we learn and what we know about you. But, God, we do forget what you've done because we get so focused on what we're trying to do. So just in this time, God, we ask that you would calm our hearts and still our minds and open our ears, that we would have the ability to hear what it is that you have for each and every one of us today. And it's going to be different, God, but it's all going to be from you. And so we thank you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would just carry these words and that they would become whatever it is that you need them to be for us. Uh, God, we thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're just jumping in, we are in the middle of a series of Acts. We started it about a year and a half ago, then we put a pin in it for a while. Picked it up this summer. We're going to finish it by the end of the summer. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're in Acts 18. Uh, what I encourage people to do in this, this chapter again today, we're going to go through all of Acts 18. This chapter is like all the other ones. If you will just let yourself sit back and let that mental movie roll in your mind, uh, it's a world 2,000 years ago. In some ways, it couldn't be more difficult than the world that we live in. But in some ways, it is so much like the world that we live in. The people, we're going to find out as we go through the New Testament, the people are just the same. They, they got the same problems and issues and hopes and dreams. And so, Acts 18, let the movie roll in your mind as we go through. Uh, I had the realization this week that I tend to talk really fast when I teach. I'm going to try to slow it down a little bit. But if you're a note taker, uh, good luck. Do your best. Chapter 18, verse 1, then Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about these city names, and they're really important. Corinth is the church that Paul founds that ends up being the place that he writes the letters First and Second Corinthians to. And as we go through this chapter and chapters to follow, you're going to see a part of the name of the lot, a lot of the letters in the New Testament, because they're places that Paul visited on his missionary journeys where he planted churches and then he moved on and then he would go back and visit. But he would also write them letters to encourage and to uh, support and sometimes to challenge them. So more on that in a little bit. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila. He was born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Priscilla is named second here in the introduction, which would be the appropriate thing culturally and especially for a Jew to have done. Always husband, then wife. There is a change that's going to happen in this chapter, and it's going to be a very significant one, and it's going to involve Priscilla. We're going to hear more about that in a little bit. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. He'd kicked them all out. They'd been deported. It's called the diaspora is the fancy word for it. It's kind of an interesting thing because the, the Jewish folks had a large colony there. But the Romans, as you know, uh, worshipped an entirely different group of small g-gods. If you studied them all, you know who they are. They kicked all the Jewish people out. It became this dispersion where they were scattered throughout that whole part of the world. And it seemed tragic. It seemed like they're separated from people who believed like them, people who had faith like them. They had to start over. But what we see in the New Testament that God does is He takes that scattering and He uses that as the foundation, the soil that the new Christian church begins to grow and take root in. 
Paul understands that because Paul is Jewish. And as he goes and visits this pe- these people, we see over and over, he goes to where they worship, and then he shares with them the good news of Jesus. Uh, they were, uh, Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just like he was. Paul came from part of southern Turkey, and it was famous for these uh, tents or this fabric that was made of, of knitted woven goat hair that apparently was really good at like, shedding the elements and, and lasting a long time. So he became a tent maker along with these folks. It was a craft that he would have known from when he grew up. But the other translation of tent maker is a leather worker. And so they probably did both. What we know is they literally made tents, shelters, mostly from the sun, not so much from the rain, but something that we'd be pretty familiar with, but a lot more basic, just kind of the roof type. Each Sabbath, Paul at the synagogue, each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue. Every Saturday, which was their Sabbath day, Paul went to the people, to where the people were religious, where they were worshiping, because those were the ones who understood the Old Testament. Those were the people who understood what they were looking for in the Messiah. But Paul had something new for him, not just a great understanding of the Old Testament, which he had because he was trained as a rabbi. He had an understanding that that Messiah now had a name. And that Messiah's name was Jesus. And so as Paul goes out, he is immediately preaching to his people, the Jewish people. He knows how they think. He shares their understanding. He shares their religious upbringing. And what he brings to them is the rest of the story, as that old Paul Harvey used to say. The rest of the story is named Jesus. So he found himself in the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. So not just Jewish people, he's moved out to the Gentile world. That's you and I, anybody who isn't born Jewish. So his audience is already growing. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. He was incredibly intelligent. He had been trained by the best of the best in Jerusalem. As far as young men who were on their way to being a rabbi was, Paul was at the head of the class. When it came to knowing and having memorized and understanding the Old Testament scriptures, Paul was the guy. And so he could go in and he had instant credibility in the synagogue because he didn't have to get up to speed. He was already there. In fact, he probably knew more than most of the people who were teaching. So he had this authority, this credibility that he carried with him. And his message was this, not about his own intelligence, not about his own history, not about his own standing. It was about the Messiah, the one that they had all been waiting for. But what happened, we said, whenever you you have any success in the eyes of the world, whenever you go out and share your faith about Jesus, you're always going to face opposition. What happened when they opposed and insulted him? Paul took the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Here's what's happening there. Paul's been called by God to go preach to the Jews and the Gentiles that would gather the good news in Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. He told them the truth of who Jesus was. That was his responsibility. Not to convert them. That's God's business. Paul's job was to share the truth with him. He did. And when they opposed and insulted him and tried to drive him out, he said, your blood is on your own heads. Basically, I've had enough of you. I've told you the truth. Now it's up to you to believe. See, what we know from the Bible is once you go to a place and you hear the truth of God's word, now you're responsible. You're responsible for not just hearing, but for responding. 
Somehow or another, we're going to react to one question that every human being who has ever been born has to deal with. Who is Jesus? You have to make some kind of a decision and understanding in your life. Once you hear who He is, once you hear the biblical truth, and today you're hearing that, you are now responsible. I'm not. You are. You're responsible to make a decision. Who do I believe He is? Who do I believe this Jesus in the Bible is? Paul is telling these people, I've told you the truth. You've chosen not to believe. I'm moving on. What happens to you now is up to you, not me. Then he left and he went to the home of Titius Justice, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue, a non-Jewish guy that had a house right next to the synagogue. Talk about getting set up in a good place. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul became believers and were baptized. Paul is just doing what God called him to do. The people say they're not interested. They oppose. They're giving him a hard time. There's a guy who's a Gentile, who is non-Jewish, who is a believer in Jesus, who has a house right next to the synagogue, and the leader of the synagogue ends up giving his life to Jesus. Paul is making a difference. We talk around here a lot about this thing on the wall, God is at work. Paul hasn't had an easy time as a preacher, as a missionary. People have opposed him. They've thrown rocks at him. They've left him for dead. They've done all kinds of horrible stuff. And yet God continues to honor his faithfulness by opening the doors to people that will allow him to preach the good news of Jesus. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and he told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the Word of God. Paul hears from God after he's been beaten and and thrown rocks at and left for dead and thrown in jail and left in the middle of jail and he saw a miracle when the earthquake came. All of these things have happened and God says, Paul, don't worry, I'm with you. You be bold. You just speak the truth. You you tell these people what I sent you there to tell them. Even if they oppose you, God is going to be with them. What happens when you hear from God? Maybe it's just kind of a knowing in your heart. Maybe it's something in your mind that you know that's not from somebody else. That wasn't something your mom or dad told you. That's that's probably from God. Maybe it's a pit in your stomach because you don't want to do whatever you're hearing. Sometimes it's incredibly encouraging that God is going to carry you through the next chapter of your life or the next day or the next event when you don't have any idea how to get through yourself. What is your response? Because so many of us brush it off and go, wow, I don't know where that came from, but I'm not doing that. Paul has no reason not to believe that he is not going to be opposed and persecuted and treated horribly again, except for God saying, I'm going to be with you. So be bold. And God says the same thing to us. As a believer in Jesus, we are supposed to be bold about speaking the truth of who Jesus is. Not who you are. The truth of who Jesus is. But when Gallio became the governor of Achaia, the area, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. Just like what happened with Jesus, they're getting upset because his message is being heard and people are being changed. They accuse Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. What's contrary to their law? Anything outside the Roman group of gods. What's Paul doing is just simply saying, as Jewish people, as Gentile believers, you know the Jews have a Messiah that they're waiting for. He says, I know that that Messiah's name is Jesus. Paul's message is always the same. It doesn't matter who he's talking to. 
Paul preaches Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's Paul's testimony. That's what Paul goes into towns everywhere to talk about. And of course he faces opposition because those who don't believe and don't want to believe don't want to hear him preach. It's the same thing as is happening in America today. But as Paul starts to make his defense, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. Separation of church and state. You've got a religious problem. You go deal with it on religious terms. He's not done anything against the governor. He's not done anything against the government or against Caesar. You go figure it out on your own. I have to wonder if this guy hadn't learned a little bit from Pontius Pilate and what he had heard happened in Jerusalem with Jesus. See, that didn't go so well for everybody. It didn't go well for Jesus, but it went great for us. It went great for the early Christian church that we're learning about called the way. And I have to imagine that he's saying, you know what, I want nothing to do with this. Whoever this guy is, whoever his God is, he's more powerful than anything we've got. You go work it out yourselves. So Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. They said goodbye to the brothers and sisters, and they went by uh, to nearby Centria, which is just like a suburb of Corinth. There he shaved his head according to the Jewish custom. I love this part. <laughs> he shaved his head according to the Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. That's such a weird thing. We see it a little bit later on. We don't know what the vow is. It doesn't say what vow Paul made. It doesn't say what he committed to. More than likely, it was a Nazarite vow. A vow that involved not shaving your head when you commit yourself to service to God. No alcohol, no shaving your head. There's just some things that you've promised that you're not going to do as you serve God. It's a nod on Paul's part to the Jewish tradition that he is so familiar with. It really has nothing to do with the new church. It has nothing to do with Christianity. But what we see going on and on and on is Paul making concessions. The word earlier was trying to appease the Jewish leaders. So we don't know what it is, but he marks the end of this vow by shaving his head. And he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. Did you hear what just happened? What was the name of that couple that we were introduced to a little bit ago? Aquila and Priscilla. But it just got flip-flopped. Culturally, that didn't happen. In the Old Testament, no way that got happened. If I said to you, who was Abraham married to? A lot of you would respond back, Sarah, always husband and wife. Suddenly in the New Testament church, there's a change happening. The role, the responsibility, the respect, the position of women is changing. And we just see it from the husband and the wife to the wife named first and the husband. And the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, continues with that in a little bit. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus, and if you are thinking that sounds familiar to me, Ephesus is the city that Paul planted a church and then writes the book of Ephesians to. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason. Why? Because that's what Paul does. That's where the religious people that know the Old Testament scriptures are going to gather. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined, and as he left, however, he said, I'll come back later, God willing. Then he set sail from Ephesus. The next stop was at the port of Caesarea. From there, he went up to, uh, and visited the church at Jerusalem and then back to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia and Phrygia, visiting and strengthening the believers. Galatia would be the church that he planted that he wrote the letter of Galatians to. Why is this important? 
Why are all these cities named? Why are all these places and people? Because this isn't a made-up story. This is history. This is God's story among people over the last couple thousand years. If people say, I don't believe that. I don't think it really happened. You know what? This is the city that it happened in. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody really knew that. Well, you know what? They name a small suburb of a large city just to make sure we know that this really went on there. We get the name of real people. And then Paul writes these letters after he visits. Why does he do that? For a number of reasons. For some of them, he needs to just encourage them. There's small groups of Christian believers in the middle of very non-Christian people. For some of them, it's larger groups of Christians that have taken on other teaching that isn't consistent with Scripture, that isn't consistent with the message in the life of Jesus. When we go back and read First and Second Corinthians, there's a lot of corrections there. There's a lot of setting theology straight and making sure people understand how it is that they're really supposed to worship and how they're not. Why? Because Paul is helping all of these churches understand how to be unified, even though they're scattered, in the same faith. We now call it Christianity. Back then it was called the way. Paul is doing for the first time theology. He's helping people understand God, helping understand the life of Jesus and the little bit of information that they had about him. And so he sends these letters, and we have this awesome written history of Paul's contacts and visits with these people that we get to read in the New Testament. Then we meet this new guy. Verse 24, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a very Roman name, an eloquent speaker who knew the Scriptures well. What that would mean in, in Luke's writing is he knew the Old Testament, what you and I understand as the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament Scriptures well. He knew his Bible. He had them memorized. He was a young guy who was an engaging preacher who knew the Bible well. There was no question about that. He'd arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. Why is it important that they say he knew his Scriptures well? Because a lot of preachers were popping up, and we read about it in Acts, trying to grab onto this movement but really had no idea of the power of God. But then they add this other thing, Luke says, He'd arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. Well, there again, we've got this interesting place on the map that the, the church has apparently moved from. We have this information earlier on where Philip has what we'd call a revival, and he's, he's in Israel, and he's got all these people. His ministry is flourishing. We'd say it was super successful. And God calls to him and says, Philip, you've got to go to the desert road. Go down south to that desert road because there's somebody that you need to meet there. And Philip, rather than saying, well, clearly I had something bad for lunch. That was bad news. He says, okay, God, if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. He doesn't know why. On the way, there's this chariot, and this guy is driving the chariot, and he's reading from the Old Testament because he's just left Jerusalem. And he had been there when Jesus had been crucified, died, and was buried. And now he's going back home, it says, to Ethiopia because he worked for the queen. And so in the story, it's awesome. And the movie, in my mind, is great because right away, Philip is running alongside him and they're having this conversation. And the young guy didn't even bother to think, hey, old Philip, would you like to ride? But the conversation goes on and, and it gets to the point where he's trying to understand what he's seen. He said, well, can't I be baptized? And what prevents me from being baptized? And he says, there's water. And Philip says, let's go. That man spread the gospel to Ethiopia. This guy is coming from Alexandria in Egypt. See, there's this road in my mind that goes from Jerusalem and Israel, the Galilee region, through Jerusalem down to Egypt. And it was traveled a lot by people in the Bible. Moses and the Israelites, Jesus and his family. 
There's all of these people that go back and forth. And what Luke is doing is making sure that we understand that they're still connected to this part of the world. And what God did with all of that was to begin to spread the gospel in a way that it was like concentric waves that surrounded out from Jerusalem. And more and more people heard the good news of Jesus. See, it says he'd been taught the way of the Lord... And he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and with accuracy. This is important, Luke says, because he knew the Bible and he was teaching it well. He was teaching accurately what he knew. However, he knew only about John's baptism. Well, what's the difference here? We're going to have baptisms after this service out in the lake. If you've never been here for those, stick around. It is the most awesome celebration in the world. Um, And if you're one who's going to be baptized, congratulations. This is a big day for you. He knew just John's baptism. John made an interesting comment when people said, well, we want to follow you. And John said, no, 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 you don't want to follow me. You want to follow the one who comes after me, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. For I baptize with water. He baptizes with fire and the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus. He didn't understand. Apollos didn't understand the full message of Jesus as the Messiah about baptism and salvation. He didn't understand those things. And so an incredible thing happens. He knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila, get the order again, wife and husband, heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, accurately, with good knowledge, just not all of the information, they took him aside and they explained the way of God even more accurately. All right, at the risk of some people not being happy about this, here's what just happened there. Apollos became a disciple of Priscilla and her husband Aquila. Priscilla took this young preacher with all of this energy, with all of this education and this incredible ability to preach, and she began to disciple him in the full message of the gospel of Jesus. This woman goes from being a lady who is named after her husband to being a woman who begins to mentor and to disciple one of the most powerful preachers that we've met in the book of Acts yet. She explains the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him, and when he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments and public debate. Using the Scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. The Jews had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for a Savior. The problem is that they missed Him. Salvation is in Jesus alone. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. They're preaching salvation. And some people are believing and some people are opposing. They're they're preaching forgiveness of sins and repentance. We just celebrated Holy Communion where Jesus commanded us to remember the Lord's death until He returns. What about his death are we supposed to remember? His death paid the price for our sins. The message that preaching is very simple. It's the same message that we try to preach today. Baptism, salvation in Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of believers and in the world. God is at work through his Holy Spirit. Three very simple things. Paul's message throughout all of his travels, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Repent and be baptized. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in a believer. It's a very, very simple message. And now Apollos is equipped to go and teach others the fullness of that message. There's 30-some people that have 
uh, made the statement that they want to publicly make a statement of their faith in Jesus by going into the water to be baptized today. Yeah, woo, you can woo that for sure. They're going to be asked, do you believe in God the Father as your creator and redeemer? They're going to be asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? And that it's only in the Holy Spirit that you're able to live this life that you are committing to today. Where does that come from? It's not in the Bible, but it's a summary of all of what's happening in the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's a statement of faith. It's a beginning of a Christian testimony. I talked earlier about what the book of Acts is and and why all these things are there. Think about it as your life. Last week I made the statement, when I meet someone for the first time and I've got the opportunity to get to know them a little better, my question isn't a pointed one. My question is always, what's your story? What's your story? I'd love to hear your story because I really would. And inevitably what happens if someone asks you, you're already thinking about it, what would you say? Eventually we get to what's important to us. Yeah, we get to our mistakes, we get to the highlights, we get to what we've been doing in our life, but we get to what's important. What we're reading in the book of Acts isn't a story. We're reading a testimony. We're reading the testimony of God's Holy Spirit and faithful men and women who follow God's command to share the good news of Jesus with the world, some who are incredibly opposed to hearing it. That should be a part of our testimony as well. I, I said first service, our story is our telling of how we've messed up our life. Our testimony is how God has never given up on us. What's your testimony? Your story is what's important to you. Your testimony is what's important to God, and that is you. And what we're reading about in the book of Acts is this church is growing. And as these people are giving so much of who they are, they're giving so much of what they have because they are absolutely sold out for the good news of Jesus. We're reading their testimony. We're reading some mistakes. We're reading where they got things wrong. Apollos didn't have the whole story, but you know what part of his testimony was? That he was discipled by a woman and her husband that taught him the rest of the story. So my question as I close today is simply this for you. We could sit down and have a cup of coffee. And I could ask you, what's your story? But as someone who believes in Jesus, once I know that, I have a different question. What's your testimony? What is the story of God at work in your life? Because if you're here today on a Sunday morning and you're at church here or anywhere, you have a story of God at work in your life. You're not here for no good reason. You might think you're here for your good reason, but you're here for God's good purpose. And that's because God is building and developing and growing you a testimony of how it is that he's at work in your life. What is your testimony of God at work in your life? Let's pray. God, thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for these people that get it right and they get it wrong and they try so hard. And God, so much of our lives, we're we're so busy trying that we don't even see what you're doing. We're so busy trying to succeed that we don't see what it is that you're trying to create in us. God, help us to learn from the book of Acts. Help us to learn from Paul, from Apollos, from Priscilla and Aquila. Help us to learn from Silas and Timothy and Barnabas. Help us to learn from all of these people, men and women, who help tell the testimony of you at work in human history. But God, if we leave it at that and just use it as a history lesson, we miss your whole point. Because God, your whole point is each and every one of us, individually, singly, one at a time, Your whole point, you sent Jesus so that we might know him, that we might know salvation in his name, that we might know the forgiveness of sins, repentance, 
and the forgiveness of sins, that we might step forward and be baptized in obedience. Just like we took time today and celebrated Holy Communion, remembering the Lord's death until He comes in obedience. God, help us to see our lives not as the greatest hits of our own story. Help us to see our lives as Your testimony of You at work in our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to invite you to stand and continue to worship here. I invite ushers to come forward to receive gifts and tithes and offerings. The Bible says that we're to give with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, whatever that is, that, that's up to you. That's not up to us. That's between you and God. What we see in the book of Acts is people who are so committed, so sold out for this Jesus guy and this way that they give just above and beyond crazy. And I realize that it's because of them and it's because of generations before me and generations of people before you that gave generously that you would even be here today knowing who Jesus was. Thank you as you give generously for people that you may never meet who we are yet to meet as a church. Let's continue to worship. Uh, finally, around here, baptisms and pancakes go together like peanut butter and jelly. So in about 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to meet down by the light pole on the beach. If you're going to be baptized, you should have a t-shirt. If not, see Cindy, you'll get one. Check in to let them know you're here. We'd love it if you all could stick around. And there's going to be pancakes and sausages left. You can get some food while we're changing and getting ready. But it is going to be a huge celebration. We get to join heaven. And you don't want to miss that. we got one more song before you go. Last thing i got is this. Your story... It's filled with all kinds of things, and if you're honest about it, most of where you messed up in your life, your testimony is where God refused to give up on you in your life. Focus on your testimony and give thanks, because God isn't done with you yet. Whoever you were yesterday, whoever you were before, does not define and limit who it is that you can become in Jesus. Your testimony is God's story of Him at work in your life. One more song. Hope we see you down at the beach, folks. Thanks for coming.